Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas. I am a wife, mom, author, and lifelong educator who has been doing some hard work for two decades. This podcast is about renewing hope, happiness, and belief in education. We get real and talk candidly about ways educators across the globe are working to uproot the education system and making transformational changes for all educators and students. And beyond the why and the what these transformational education leaders are doing, we get into the how you as an educator can drive toward these changes. I am here to take away the pain, exhaustion that too many of us feel day in and day out and rid ourselves of the question if we made the right career choice. Trust me, you did. So let's dig in and ignite the joy, passion, and belief all educators had when deciding to enter a career in education. And let's make some change. So much is possible in education. Welcome back to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I can't even begin to tell you all how happy I am to have Sherry Solom, aka Miss Griffin, <laughs> be on this podcast. Just a little tidbit about how I know this amazing educator. She was Nico, my oldest son's kindergarten teacher and first grade teacher and fourth grade teacher. <laughs> and this child loves to learn. He is just in love with learning. He loves school for the social aspect, for the learning aspect. And I attribute so much of that to Ms. Solem and all that you've done to cultivate the learner within him. And that whole group of students who just did loop with you over and over again for three years. They love school. They love to learn. They love to be together. And it's you and the culture you build and the learning, the love of learning culture that you build in your classroom. So all of that to say, everyone, I am, you can't see me, but I'm seriously bouncing out of my <laughs> excitement. Sorry. Sorry, Harry. But anyway, all of that to say, like, when I talk about educators and who I want my kids to have, or when I think about the vision of an educator, it is you. And that is why you are on this podcast and she's finally agreed. I've been chased down for a year. Here we are. And we finally have her. Sherry, tell us about you. Tell us about your journey in education and how you became the amazing. You are too kind with all of your accolades, but yes, I love kids. And when I have a good group of them, I want to keep them for as long as possible. Yeah, I'm really excited that I got to loop with Nico and his group. And I'm super excited. I've moved schools now. I'm in a new place and was advocated for some looping and just got the news that I get to loop again with some third graders into fourth grade. So I'm super happy about that. But I was not a teacher originally. I went to college, a small school in Oregon, because they had a creative writing program and I wanted to be a writer. And and then I was sitting in journalism classes and they went by really fast. And so I decided journalism was where I wanted to be and actually graduated with my bachelor's degree in media arts and was a journalist for 10 years. Some in Idaho and then moved to Colorado Springs. That's what actually brought me here. But newspapers, I will always have a love for newspapers and writing. But newspapers went through that crazy time when they were trying to figure out how to do websites and media, digital media. And it was just a time when they could call the newsroom at any time and say, hey, we don't need you anymore. We can't afford you anymore. Things like that. And at that point, I had been covering education 
at the Gazette for five years. I knew No Child Left Behind backwards and forwards. I had looked at probably millions of CMAS scores. It was CSAP at the time. I had been to board meetings and I thought, gosh, I can, maybe I need to be in the classroom instead of just looking at classrooms. And I always laugh because I think so naively, I was like, gosh, why don't these teachers understand No Child Left Behind and why this happens and certain things? And oh, I certainly know why now. No teacher in the classroom has time to dig in. But as a journalist, I did and went back to school, got my teaching degree at UCS and, and jumped right into Harrison. At that I wanted to be in Harrison School District too. I wanted to make a difference for kids. And that really is at the heart of everything I do. Very much a student first philosophy. So yeah, I worked for 12 years in Harrison School District too. Two different schools, every grade level under the sun. Okay, only in elementary, but yeah, I've taught everything kinder to fourth grade and my student teaching was actually in fifth grade. So I think I've got elementary school covered and everybody always asks, what's my favorite grade? And I just, I can't really ever answer that because did I love kindergarten? Yes, I did. You kinder and first, you get to see this amazing growth of kids that don't know how to do school to readers and mathematicians and like the growth is exponential. But wow, fourth grade, the conversations that you can have, the depth that you can go, the there's just, it's a much different classroom and atmosphere, but I love them all. So I, sometimes I get jealous of those teachers who are like, I am a kindergarten teacher through and through. And I'm like, really? I love them all. And in the back of my head, there's still that idea that maybe middle school needs to be explored or something like that. But Kids are kids. I think that's also part of it. No matter what grade level, kids are kids and they need a good teacher, good instruction, but also that atmosphere where they know they're loved. And that has kept me, even as I made a change to a new school district, I still was looking for a school where every kid needs a good teacher. Absolutely. But there are just sometimes some schools where Education is going to be their way to make themselves better, to get themselves a better life. And those kids need just the best teachers to ensure that they have the best opportunities. What they do with those opportunities is really on them, but they need every chance. So my new school is still a Title I school, although there are kids in every school that need opportunities to better themselves. I didn't start as an educator, but now I think about, as we talk about educators who leave the profession, yeah, it's come up in my mind. And then I think, no way. I've also dabbled in one year for summer school. I was the administrator instead of a teacher. I have looked into coaching because that's what teachers are supposed to do. They're supposed to move into these positions. And every time I dabble in those things, I think, wait a minute, the best part of my day is when I'm standing in front of kids. You would like to take me out of that classroom? No, thank you. I think every class that I've taught at some point, I've told them about a day in which I didn't really want to go to school that day. I didn't really want to be at work. And yet something magical happens about 10 minutes after they all wander in. And I'm like, oh, oh, I did want to be here today. I do want to be in front of you guys. Whatever was stopping me from wanting to be at school, it just goes away when there are 
18 to 27 kids in front of me. There is nowhere else I would rather be. And so I think about my time as a journalist. I loved it. But maybe this was all just to get me to where I needed to be, which was which is in front of kids. Ah, amen. It is. You're calling. And I think your impacts would be probably exponential if you were to be an admin or a coach. I can only imagine. And at the same time, had you, when Nico was in third grade, that's what you were doing versus being his teacher. I might have made a bus. Let's back a little bit and just think about some of those eye-opening moments, those first few years. So you were a journalist. You're seeing it from the very broad purview of education. And now... You were on the ground, roll up your sleeves, in the trenches. What were some of those very initial eye-opening, holy cow, this system, or what teachers need? I'd love to hear just your thinking, your lessons. Yeah, I think even now, the ahas that I have, board members make these sweeping things for us. They handle budgets that are just so large. And how do we make the connection between central administration and board members and classrooms and also the media? I looked at test scores. That was what my focus was as a newspaper reporter and the judgments that get made about schools based on test scores and on based on public relations people that, that make comments about test scores and, and stuff like that. When in, there is really important lessons and really important work going on in classrooms that those high-level people never get to see. And there's somehow a disconnect between those two pieces. And then in the same way, money. It's so funny. Budgets are huge. We do have money for things. How do we get it to the right stuff and to the right people? And so I think those were my big ahas when you look at the two levels. Yeah, as a reporter, I went to school board meetings and I saw what they were talking about. And it definitely affects kids. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, when you're when I'm in my classroom, I'm not thinking about those big picture things. I'm not thinking about the test scores of a district or the budget on such a large scale. I'm thinking about individual kids and what I'm going to do to make their life better. And a good test score comes with it. But at the end of the day, I need this child to be a problem solver and think critically about things and be able to interact with their classmates in a positive manner. And I think just somehow that gets lost between the highest level of a school district classroom. I go back to that joke of I was an education reporter. I do no child left behind inside and out. I knew every piece of why a test score didn't count or things like that. And as a teacher, I think there is no way I've got a million other things in my brain about how to differentiate for the six groups of kids in my class and how to get lunch for the kid that doesn't have lunch. And how to collaborate with my teammates about this new lesson that's coming up. And I don't have the capacity that other people do. And so one thing is like, we need to somehow connect those two things so that they talk to each other and know what's happening. School board members, central administration should know what's happening in classrooms. And teachers to some degree should know what's happening on the other end. We should have some ideas, but then also how to make those things work together. 
because we're reliant on that stuff. We're reliant on the budget that comes down. We're reliant on the curriculum that comes down. And so I think maybe just the ahas of it's not as connected as maybe ideally we would want it to be. I think some people, it really depends on the person. I have some great district administrators in my current district and they are in classrooms. So a lot of it is people driven, which I think so much of education is people driven that way. If you get good leaders in, <laughs> good leaders at the district level, good leaders in your school level. And then frankly, I talked about this. We think teachers should move to coaching positions and administrator positions. No, good teachers should stay in the classroom, but maybe find a way to influence something bigger than just their classroom. And I don't know what that looks like. Nobody is really doing that. We're mired in the tradition of, if you want to move up, and I'm putting air quotes around that because it's this idea of you don't just stay in the classroom, except that's where I want to be. And that's where I want to make a difference. So I think that's something I've always struggled with is, how do I continue being the best teacher that I can be, but also spread that influence a little bit far to affect more kids, to affect more teachers? We need good teachers. But I think that, like I said, that comes from we also need good school administrators. We need good district personnel. Leadership is really important. And maybe I didn't realize that when I was looking at big picture, but certainly when you're in the classroom, leadership makes or breaks a school in a classroom. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. And I know, Sherry, you've been doing so much work on expanding your impact with the idea of staying in the classroom because you did grapple with that. You were going back to school. You've mentioned really exploring the idea of being in an admin position and moving with your students past, present, and really having that desire to then make an impact on the scale of the students that are in front of you, but also on the scale of a further reach without leaving the classroom. So what are some things that you would recommend teachers do to say, I don't have to leave the classroom? I okay. never thought it was going to until, and I shared this on the podcast a lot, until I burned out. And I'm so grateful that I found coaching and can't imagine my life beyond that. But like, any chance I get to be in a classroom, teachers know they're like, I could probably text KP and she's, even if it's walking <laughs> down the hallway, but what can teachers do that allows them to climb without requiring them to leave? Yeah, I think two things come to mind for me. One being seek out the people around you who are going to make you a better teacher. Even within teacher, there are levels of teacher and not like, specific or literal levels, but like, I am not the teacher I was the first three years. I look back <laughs> at those class pictures. Every class picture hangs in my classroom so that I can remember every kid that has come through. And I think back to some of those early classes and I'm like, oh, heavens, I am, I'm not that teacher anymore. I've gotten better. And the idea of reaching out, normalizing, going to coaches, going to find the, your colleagues who are the people you want to be and go spend time in their classrooms. Talk to them. That's going to make you a better teacher. That is what I am a better teacher today than I have been in the past. And I'm going to continue to grow as a teacher. I have not hit a plateau where I can check off and be like, okay, I'm a good teacher. Done. One, because education is going to change a million times 
in the next year and I need to keep growing. And because I have found people who are going to say things to me and I'm going to say, oh, I need to put that in my classroom or, oh, I never thought about it like that. So I think one is ask for support. And I use the word support, not help, because I think that help has that stigma of, oh, I'm not good enough. I need help. No, every single one of us needs support. And it can come from a lot of places, colleagues, coaches, ask people to come in and model in your classroom. That's not a, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I have to have somebody come do it for me. No, it's, hey, you're a master teacher. Can you come and show me how you do that in your classroom? There's so much power in asking for support so that you can become a better teacher. And social media, I think absolutely is a way to influence way bigger than we thought. As a teacher, I can stay in the classroom, but I can maybe affect change in a much bigger way because I'm putting some ideas out there. And I know certainly there are other teachers who are doing this successfully for me who have Instagram or TikTok or things are affecting my classroom. So I know that I can put content out there that's going to affect somebody else. And so, yeah, I think those are the two pieces. I'm going to be in the classroom, which actually makes me more powerful on social media. What I do today in my classroom, I can talk about not because I did it a year ago, but because I did it today, this is what happened and this is what you can try as well. And I think that one also is not about being the best, but it's about putting so many ideas out there and knowledge out there. Because I do think teachers sometimes, this is one of my pet peeves, sometimes we get caught up in the activities. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to know our content, not an activity and fun and engagement. That's part of it. Absolutely needs to be there. But we need to have such solid content. We need to know what we're teaching forwards and backwards so that we can create fun and engaging activities with it. And so I think social media is that other place where you can influence others, both with activities and content knowledge that's then going to make not just your classroom better, but other classrooms. Okay, love all of this. And I think embedded in it is... A, a message that maybe is not being stated, but is very much what I know of you. And I'd love to just talk about this, but like you are a learner and you're hyper-reflective. Yeah. Those are two things. I know that as a parent in your classroom, you're constantly, one, asking not just me as an educator for feedback, you were asking all of your families. That was a huge humbling opportunity for me to learn, but then you were also doing your national board certification. You were getting your master's in admin. You were constantly pushing yourself to learn and also constantly reflecting on how to improve. Talk to us about those two things as it relates to you as a practitioner, but also how other teachers who have such limited time could potentially embrace these things? I'll tackle reflection first because I think it's my favorite and it definitely is a big part of what's made me a better teacher. I think just in general, and I have reflected on how when this transformation took place, but I think just not taking it personal when things happen or don't happen in your classroom either behaviorally or academically. And so I often, and I also am very open with my kids, no matter the age, there are days when I get done with the school day and I'm just like, something 
was off and maybe it's behaviorally. Maybe it's, oh my gosh, we could not get quiet and listen to what we were trying to get across here where we had some behaviors that we needed to have. The bell rings and the kids leave and I sit there for a moment and think, okay, why did that happen? And it's never kids. It's just never kids. It's something that was in my lesson or my day. Like, how could I have taught that concept just a little bit differently? What do I need to do tomorrow to make this day better? Do I need to go switch two of those desks around to turn a cooperative group into something different? It's asking those questions. What do I need to do differently to make this better? And I love to do it immediately, not to let things pile up and think, oh, at the end of the week, I'm going to think about that. Or I'm going to sit down and think about how my quarter went. No, it really is the microcosm of what happened today. And that way it only takes 30 seconds, two minutes, five minutes, and you make a change. And maybe that change isn't what the problem was and it doesn't work tomorrow either. And then you sit down and think about that again. And I also put some of that on my kids. They come back the next day. Hey guys, I sat there last night and I thought about this just didn't work very well. Here's what I'm going to do to change that. What do you think? Um, what do you think we could do to change it? And sometimes I think we discount their abilities. They are so intuitive. They know things. They know why. And sometimes they're just really thoughtful of you explained it this way and that didn't make sense to me. Oh, cool. I can change that. So I think reflection doesn't have to be sit down at the end of the day and write a journal entry or anything like that. I also have a drive home. And more often than not, it is the radio is off on the drive home and I'm thinking about, okay, what went well? Because that's a piece of it too. Sometimes I can get mired in the what went wrong, how do I fix it? But we also need to give as much opportunity to those celebrations. The the kid that was talking when he wasn't supposed to over and over. And yet by the end of the day, he came up to me and said, hey, I'm really sorry for that. I wasn't being respectful. We have to celebrate those things too. Lessons that go well. We get so mired in what didn't go well. No, that was amazing. They all got what I wanted them to. It was a great activity. Nothing better than when a kid at the end goes, oh, wait, I thought we were supposed to do math. And I'm like, we did. That really fun fraction activity that you just did, that human number line that whatever it is we just did math oh oh okay i think reflection just it can be so small it can be huge too you mentioned national boards i'm a huge advocate for it it call around there's no reason to do it at all because there's no stipends or things like that but it was probably the best professional development i ever went through because you are just so reflective you pick some practices you pick some student work and you dig into it deeper than I've ever dug into anything before. And that really helped me be a reflective teacher and reflective on the right things. So it, definitely reflection can be big, but it also can be 30 seconds to two minutes at the end of every day. What went well, what didn't. I actually forced my kids to do this as well. One of my favorite practices, I give them a sticky note at the end of the day and I ask them to write down one good thing that happened to them. Twofold. One, it forces them to start that reflective practice that gratitude piece that I think is really important even as an adult. And two, where I got this from, it was a book that said, hey, we need to train our brains to think positively. And when kids leave school, the first thing mom and dad ask them, hey, how was your day today? 
And if they leave school on a negative note, that's what they're going to tell mom and dad. By forcing them to think about and name one positive thing that happened to them, they go out the door. Mom and dad say, hey, what happened? What are they just thinking about? Whatever they wrote on their sticky note. My hope then they're able to tell mom and dad, oh, we did a fraction lesson today and it was so amazing. I didn't even know we were doing math. Or sometimes I tell them it doesn't have to be academic. Lunch was really delicious today. I got to play with my friend on the playground. School doesn't have to be about academics. Yes, that's a big part of it, but there's other pieces too. So that's for the reflective piece. How do you find time to prioritize given everything that is on your plate? I know you do spend a lot of time planning. You do spend a lot of time with family content. You do clubs. You do a lot of things outside the contact hours with your students. And I was thinking about that because you and I have talked about that before. I don't think the teacher should have to put in so much extra time. We're going to put in some, undeniably, but you shouldn't have to put in so much. But I think at the end of the day, it's prioritizing. And my priorities always come with the question, what's best for kids? Anybody that knows me has probably heard me say that a million times because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And yeah, what's best for kids? I have a list of a to-do list that I could do that's 50 long. Okay, but what's the best thing that I could do with my time right now that would affect kids? Okay, that helps me prioritize. Could I put in more time? Sure, but I do need to take care of myself. I do need to spend time with my husband. I do need to be outside in nature. That's part of who I am. So that list can be prioritized. What's best for kids? And I think the learning piece goes back to when I am learning things, then I have the best content for kids. I have the best practices for kids. And that's going to keep them engaged and busy in academic things. And it's going to help me with behavior. It's all intertwined. When you're learning the best practices, you're putting them in place in your classroom and you are helping your kids be academically proficient, but also stay engaged, be cooperative. And that goes back to Sometimes it's finding the colleagues. Find the colleagues that you want to be. What are they doing in their classrooms? There is no higher compliment than somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, I heard you talking about doing a philosophical chair. That's on my brain because I actually did this exact thing. My kids are doing pro-con essays and debating. And I hear a colleague saying something about philosophical chairs. What's that about? She explains it. It would blend itself so well in my classroom. So this next week, yeah, I'm going to try it. And I think also the connectedness to that of being willing to try something. And guess what? It might crash and burn. And cool, be reflective. Why did it do that? Is it something I can fix? Do I want to? Or do I not? Do I want to try something different? I'm super excited about doing new things in my classroom all the time. And learning the best practices. I can continue looking at curriculum and reading through it and teaching it the way that I know how. But some of my best strategies came from being in somebody else's classroom and they were showing it in a different way. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Show me that again. And then I show it to my kids. We cannot get mired in doing the things we've always done. I think the big buzzword with science of reading right now is we've been doing the same thing. And it hasn't been working. And so now we have knowledge. We have to put that in place in our classrooms. The same thing with math. I'm a math person at heart. That was not how it started. I was a writer. I loved reading. 
I tolerated math the first couple of years. And then I had a colleague and she showed me this whole world of the new math. It's not new. It's just teaching some behind the scenes. Instead of just going straight to that addition algorithm, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? Carrying the one. We're not carrying it anywhere. We're we're taking 15 ones and we're making 110 and five ones. We're writing it in two different places. And so she's for this whole love of math for me because of that conceptual knowledge. And I just read an article about, is there a science of math now? Is there a way that we should be hitting math? I think there's a lot out there already that we need to utilize. And hey, if we can package it in a way that teachers can use it, absolutely, let's do it. But Again, it all comes back to what's best for kids. And that can help you prioritize. You're not going to get it all done. My to-do list is never ending. But if I can look at it and say, I have 30 minutes right now. What's the best thing I can do on this list that's going to affect kids? Cool, let's do it. Before we head into the final advice, which I think there is a theme here and probably guessing what it is, but there's a favorite word that your students know <laughs> you listen. Can you share it with us and then also share how you work to instill that word as a favorite word for your students? Yes. Many of my students will be able to say, I love the word why, because it works in so many ways. And it's part of that whole reflective piece. Why did this happen? It shows true um, mastery of a skill, if you can explain something. So I use it both academically. In my current class, they know that an answer isn't good enough in math. 94. Cool. Why did you get 94? Or how did you get 94? Explain it. Why did you solve that problem that way? And sometimes I think they sigh because they're like, I worked really hard to solve this math problem and I am not done yet because I'm going to have to explain it why. But that shows the mastery of a skill. But then I think also it lends itself to that reflective piece. Why are we behaving this way? Good and bad. How did you do that? What are you thinking right now? The why question is my favorite because it also is very open-ended. Again, I come back to kids are more intuitive than we think. And sometimes I think we don't give them enough credit and we don't give them enough time to process and explain to us. And so sometimes we just need to ask why and then be quiet <laughs> because they'll tell us um, sometimes more if we want to know. Yeah. But all of my kids know that there's more to it than just an answer. There's a why. And I think of that behaviorally sometimes when they're doing something. And in my head, I might be thinking, oh, why are you doing that? And that is the question because correcting a behavior, correcting a math problem isn't going to fix why there was a wrong answer. Um, if I can put up a wrong answer and say, why is this wrong? And they can explain that, whoa. That's a whole nother skill set. And that's what we need. On my front door, before I leave in the morning and in my classroom on the back wall, nobody ever really sees it. There's a checklist and it says my success criteria, student-led, critical thinkers, problem solvers. And I think it's really important, especially like right now, we're headed into state testing. And sometimes I get wrapped up in oh gosh, am I doing the right things to make sure that my students show what they know on these tests? And then it's that reminder back to, but wait a minute, are they problem solvers in the classroom? Are they critically thinking about, are they leading what they need to know? 
Because at the end of the day, those things might not show up on a test score. If they don't. But at the end of the day, that's what's going to make good humans. And they need to be able to do those things. And they need to be able to ask, why am I doing those things? They have to want to do those things. I think that's that last piece too. You can have the best instruction ever. You can be the teacher of the century with your instruction. But if kids, if you haven't given kids, why do they want to learn that? Why do they want to be in your classroom? Why do they want to be at school? And I'm, I'm honest to them too. There are some days you just don't want to. I got that. I know about those days. You got to have that bigger why of why we are here and why we are going to learn even when we don't feel like it. And when it doesn't show up in a test score or a classroom observation, nobody ever walks in at the right moment when the kid just totally gets a lesson and give this great explanation and you're like the principal should have been here five minutes ago to see that but at the end of the day if we know why we're there then it works out love it all so what advice do you have right now for educators to have a renewed sense of hope in this very turbulent time in education i think there, there are things that we have already talked about but normalize asking for support you're not deficient if you go to somebody and say Someone's just off in my classroom. Can you help me brainstorm? Can you come show me that? That's just making yourself a better teacher. That's what we would ask kids to do in our classrooms. If they're not getting something, we ask them, to, hey, raise your hand, ask a friend, look at an anchor chart and around the room, find a tool. Colleagues are your tools. So find the good ones and reach out to them. It's cool. They can be anywhere. Social media can be in a neighboring school, can be a friend of a friend. Find those people. And then know your content which sounds i think dry and boring but it's the first step when you know your content so well that you're not relying on the curriculum anymore you're using it but you're not relying on it because you know it then you can create those fun activities those engaging pieces you know your why so you can make sure that kids know their why and and that why that's not just the warm and fuzzy why is important too, but also the, we are at school for academics. And so we need to really know that piece so that we can have the fun piece. And I think that's one of my, I've just had the aha. Some people out there think it's fun or learning. Mm. At the end of the day, it's both. We got to put those two things together. So I think those are the keys. And at the end of the day, love your kids. I have never met a kid who didn't want to learn. It might've looked different. Their way of telling me that they were ready to learn might've looked very different from what I wanted them to look like. But there is not a kid that didn't want to learn. So for me, at the end of the day, it is, it's love your kids and everything else is gonna stem from that. Sherry, where can people find you? I am on Instagram, my messy desk blog. And then if you find me there, there's a link to my blog as well. I'm trying to be more exactly what we talked about today and put some things out into the world. There are so many things that teachers need to know. I keep saying know your content. That's a huge, huge task. And I'm trying to be better about being that teacher leader and putting some stuff out there that helps teachers know their content. So yeah, my messy desk blog, Instagram. Awesome. And we will include that in the show notes along with 
a before and after picture of Nicholas's writing, aka Nico's writing, because you all need to see the journey of his writing from start to the time that he was in the midpoint of his kindergarten year. It is a beautiful thing. And that is the power of Miss Sherry Solem, whose name on here still says Sherry Griffin. <laughs> yes. Forever and ever. Sometimes you got to hold on to it. Thank you so much for being a part of the Teacher Renewed podcast and being here today and just sharing your wealth of knowledge with this community, but even more importantly, with your students. They are so lucky to have you. Thank you. Sherry, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of today's episode. Here are our takeaways. Number one, kids need good teachers, good instruction, and an atmosphere where they know they are loved. Number two, there is such important work in classrooms that is happening that those in positions outside of classrooms need to see, from school board members to media to district and school admin. We need to get more people into our classrooms so we can adjust the narratives and decisions that are being made on behalf of teachers and students. Number three, seek out the people who are going to make you better. The people who you want to be. Lean on them and don't be afraid to ask for support. We owe this to our students. Number four, social media is a tool we can use to be better. There are so many ways to lean into it without being too far drawn in use it and learn from it. There are many educators out there doing really great stuff on social media. Find them. Number five, we can't take things personally when things happen in our classrooms. However, we do need to be reflective and consider what we need to do differently to make things better. Embrace the world why. Number six, our students are so intuitive. We need to give them more credit for their thinking and more time to process their thinking and then we need to listen. Include your students in the reflective process. They deserve this skill. Number seven, know your content. We need this piece in order to have fun. Fun and learning are not dichotomous, but we need the content knowledge so that we can build in the fun. Number eight, as you consider your priorities, anchor them in what is best for kids. Number nine, we cannot be mired in what we have always done as educators. We must also always be learners and be willing to adjust to ensure we are doing what is best for kids. And number 10, love your kids. Wow, another episode in the books. Thank you so much for joining me today and every week on the podcast. So what are you taking away from today's episode? Let me know by heading to Instagram and either commenting on this episode's IG picture or DM me and tell me you listened to the episode and share a little nugget you received. I am at teacher underscore renewed. And as always, if you liked this episode and know someone who is on a journey to becoming a better teacher and educator, share this with them. And it might just be the one thing they needed to hear today. Or share this episode in your stories and tag me at teacher underscore renewed. All right, my friends, I will be back next week with another episode for more of what's possible in education.